0: here in L.A., Beverly Grove edition. Today, we meet Paul Feinstein. You are in for a treat because Paul is a food and travel writer specializing in all things Italian. We'll get into great detail about his neighborhood in Beverly Grove, probably more detail than any neighborhood we've ever discussed here. We'll talk about his new book, Italy Cocktails, and yes, we'll discuss Negroni's. And I think you'll be surprised where he ranks L.A. in his list of the best cities for pizza. So let's welcome Paul Feinstein. Hey, everybody. I am here in Beverly Grove with Paul Feinstein.
1: Hi. How's how's it going?
0: Hey. Hold on. Hey. It's going great. Paul, thank you for being here.
1: Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: (laughs) You have bounced on your femur. A beautiful book Thank about you. drinking.
1: That's right. It is. A what's, beautiful what's your book called? Uh, my book is called Italy Cocktails: An Elegant Collection of Over One Hundred Recipes Inspired by Italia. When you write a book like, and who's your publisher? Harper Collins. So big time. Big time. Are they the biggest? Uh, them and Simon and Schuster, probably the two biggest. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, seriously. Thank you. To be published these days it's and not, not be named
0: Oprah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right? Not,
1: not an easy task.
0: And I would imagine a book about drinking has been done. It has. Somehow you found a niche and you got these nice people in New York City to buy into it. Not only did they buy into it, but I flipped through that book. It is gorgeous in Thank there. You. Every page is beautiful. Thank you. Color
1: photography. Thank you. And the cover has this cutout that must have cost them a couple bucks. Probably cost them a couple bucks. It's a beautiful die die cut of the cover of an Italian glass. Yeah, it's... um For those in your audience who don't know, I am a food and travel writer. So I, I go all over the world and find interesting stories to write about. Uh, my... Bread and butter is sort of the intersection of uh, food, history, and culture. Um, so I find really interesting stories that that hit that Venn diagram, and I write about it. My specialties are uh, Italy and Japan. I write for Travel and Leisure. I write for the BBC. I write big travel guidebooks. Um, I write uh, Fodor's travel guidebook to L.A. every two years. What? Yeah. Uh, so I, I've been doing this for a really, really long time, and... Uh, in December, I got a I got an email from a HarperCollins email address that said, Hey, we've been reading a lot of your stuff that you've been writing about Italy, and we think you would be the perfect person to write a book about Italian cocktails. Art, art. And I, I looked around, I was like, is this spam? Am I Is this a joke? <laughs> uh, but it wasn't. And uh, a year later, this book ha- has arrived, and it's just been... Uh, it's been a wild, fun, incredible journey to get to this place and to have like the actual book sitting on my lap. It's just, it feels so good. I'm really proud of it. It looks beautiful. In it. I bet. And, a and congratulations. Thank you.
0: So from the email to today has yeah. been a year?
1: Yeah, basically. Well, I mean, almost. Yeah, it was December. So, Did
0: you have some of this material already written?
1: No. So I, I've been writing so much about Italy for so long that I, I had so many friends in the country who I could rely on an interview and put me in the right direction and find that, you know, cause in the book there's over 130 recipes for Italian cocktails, but there's also 40 profiles of, you know, the best bars all over Italy, some around the world and also the Italian liquor brands like Campari and Martini and Rossi and, you know, Amaro Montenegro and select Apertivo. There's all these different brands that are in there as well. And I've, I have the fortune of having worked in Italy for so long that it was really a phone call away with all of these people, which was really nice.
0: So 40 profiles, even if you did two a day, did you? were you doing two a day?
1: Yeah, I would wake up. at. So it was funny because I wrote this current year's uh, Fodor's print guide. It had the same deadline. And so from five in the morning till noon, I was writing the Italian cocktail book. And then from noon till about 10 at night, I'd be going to restaurants and hotels and places around L.A. and writing about L.A. at the same time. So I basically wrote two books at the same time. But uh, yeah. are, you, are you a married man? I am. Okay. And I have a two-year-old. <laughs> how, who,
0: who did you marry? What saint that allowed you to just work your butt off?
1: Yeah, look, I'm, uh, I'm really good at, at predicting how long things take. And so I knew that I had to hit a certain amount of things every single day, in order to hit my deadline for this book and so and the other book and so i just i really compartmentalized every part of my life where i could still be present at home but i knew that working hours were working hours and it just had to be done that way
0: but the baby doesn't know this no no he did didn't. the baby
1: cooperate yeah he was fine he sleeps uh i got a kid who sleeps really well so it helps quite a bit yeah wow yeah
0: Wow, yeah, are you somebody who's never struggled with writer's block or procrastination? no I don't I've
1: never had writer's block i have um I have a procrastination problem mm-hmm. if if there's if if what I'm writing isn't something that I know will take a lot of time, this I couldn't procrastinate there was just it was impossible. I knew I had to log hours and hours and hours and hours of both writing but also interviews and some travel and and it just i knew that deadline was going to hit real fast. And I just, I couldn't, I couldn't do what I usually do, which is I usually, you know, I'll write an article on the morning of, but the thing is like the way I procrastinate, I've been doing this for so long is that I usually write that piece that I'm writing in the shower three or four times before I end up writing what's, you know, somebody would consider a first draft. So I've written multiple drafts in my head in the shower every morning up leading up to that point. So I don't, like my first draft that I actually put on paper is usually very close to the last draft cuz I've already iterated it so many times in my head. So you so there's no music going on? No. Nah. Let's recreate
0: the situation. Okay. <laughs> Do you have one of these great LA bathrooms with the green tile and, and all that in the shower?
1: No, I uh, it's white tile. It's not one of these like 70s apartments. Uh, <laughs> no, I it's <laughs> I know those well. I've lived in those as well yeah, in my great. time in LA, but no, it's a uh, even though the building is from the 1920s, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Someone redid something at some point to like get rid of that like weird fuchsia color. And, <laughs> and <laughs> so you don't have any music going. No. Nah. Do you
0: go into the shower knowing that you want to think about what you're writing?
1: I do if I know that deadline is looming. So mm-hmm. if the deadline is looming, I will go in there and and my brain will just sort of take over because without any distractions, it really helps my my brain get clear. It's yeah. nice. Yeah.
0: Where'd you learn how to write?
1: Uh, I studied in, in in school. I went to I went to American University in DC. Really? Uh, studied journalism and yeah. visual media and screenwriting. Can you learn how to write outside of college? Yeah, of course. You absolutely can. But college, to me, you know, it's more about forming your 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 social education as much as it is your actual like trade craft. I think mm-hmm. it's important for trade craft in a lot of ways. And look, some people just don't get lucky and have bad teachers. And some people have amazing mentors and, and get really lucky. And, and it's a crapshoot. You don't, you don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't know what you don't know. And a lot of times you find what you really like and what are really good at in an environment that fosters that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, there's plenty of pros and cons, especially around the cost because colleges are insanely expensive. But I don't know. I, for me, I just think it's really good to learn about how to deal with a lot of different environments, with a lot of different people that are not like-minded yes. and are coming from backgrounds and places that you've never been. And, you know, I think about this a lot in, you know, cause I write a lot about different food cultures and the fusions of different foods that come together. And like cocktails are the same way, like using different ingredients from different cultures to really make something new and different. And I think the more you do that, Uh, The more you bring people together as Mm -hmm. opposed to just like siloing off into, you know, who you are and your people or whatever that may be. I, I'm, I'm a firm, firm believer in cross-cultural pollination. And I think my school in particular was great because a third of the school was international. Mm -hmm. And so you really got a lot of, um, a lot of new people in your life that you would never have otherwise met.
0: Is, I, I know that there's one federal school there. Is it GW or is it you guys?
1: So we, yeah, it was us, we, um, we were formed by, uh, by Congress, like they actually like created our school, <laughs> the American university. Yeah. Um, one funny quirk about the school is that when it was built, um, if you looked at the school, it like, I mean, this is, it goes, this goes back a while, uh, obviously, but I think from an aerial view, like the way that certain buildings were built made it look like either the capitol or the uh, the white house oh. from above so if like a plane was going on a bombing run like they would try to hit american university thinking that it was like the capitol or the white house <laughs> I, I don't remember which one it is but some of the buildings were designed that way in specifically as a decoy How if we were ever attacked in an aerial attack Before I went to school in, uh, DC, I, I did a program where I lived in Israel for a year Wow! and, uh, it was just this wild, crazy year where I, I went to school for a semester at, in Jerusalem. I, I lived in a place called a development town for new immigrants where they taught language and I taught English in a middle school. I got to do basic training on an air force base for six weeks. Uh, I got to farm on what's called a kibbutz for six weeks in the middle of the desert and it was just this amazing year of like just like how you let an eighteen year old do something like this? But um mm-hmm. it was great. And so I went into into I came back to the States with that under my belt and it really Really formed my my thinking, informed my thinking. Wait a, a second, Feinstein is Jewish? Yeah, I know, right? All Crazy. Right. Who would have thought? <laughs> you know, I think so. So these days they would call this like a gap year, right? Yeah, they would call it that. That term didn't exist then, but yeah, mm-hmm. this is basically what it was. Which yeah. it sounds
0: like you highly recommend.
1: I couldn't recommend it more. I think going abroad is the best thing to do. Uh, I tell everybody, anyone who asks me about college. If they don't do a gap year, I say, no matter what, just take as many semesters abroad that you possibly can. And again, it goes back to the same theme of like inclusiveness by by meeting people that you don't know and aren't familiar with and, and, and learning about new cultures and new people in new places and mm-hmm. it only makes you more uh, tolerant of other people and cultures.
0: Okay. So another reason I, I, I'm fixated on your college time is I'm hoping you didn't acquire your drinking, your love of drinking-
1: before college. Oh, it was well before college. It <laughs> yeah. really? So I'm fifth generation Denver, Colorado. Mm. I go way back.
0: There's that many Jews? in Yeah, the-
1: yeah. surprisingly. It, is there? We were, we were some of the first. Like we were some of the first. Like first synagogue, like Jews, like that kind of thing. And my father, my parents got divorced when I was like one. But my father, he and his business partner um, were gay nightclub pioneers. <laughs> yeah, you didn't see that coming, did you, Tony? uh and not, so not in denver in what are we talking the this 70s the late 70s yeah so wow so my dad's business partner they weren't business partners yet and neither are gay that's besides the point really um, my dad's business partner i think he won a gay bar in like a poker game and uh the bar was packed it was like the only gay bar in the city and so this is the late 70s you know it was, it was hard it was a hard time to be gay and um not that it's never been a hard time but it's you know dying with this story so so it was bursting at the seams and so they bought a tire factory and converted into the first gay nightclub in denver what was it called it was called tracks because it was right by the train tracks worst part of town Mm -hmm. and tracks became the gay hub of denver but being around a nightclub uh you know a lot Really helped uh, give me a a bird's eye view of of the world of drinking, and so I. It's not like I was drinking when I was six or something like that, but like you know, I I definitely drank a lot in high school. Like I really you know learned how to drink as a high school kid, not as a college kid. I am most of the drugs I did was in high school, not in college. Like I really got a lot of that out of my system earlier. Yeah, but um, but like when I was in DC, so tracks in Denver, then they opened one in DC. Uh, they opened one in New York, they opened one in Tampa. And so when I was in college, Trax was there, you know, I worked at the club. Like, you did? Was, yeah. So I, I went and got my bartending license. I went to bartending school and I worked at the <laughs> club and you know, I worked at a lot of places with being a bartender, both, uh, when I would come back to Denver in the summers, I worked as a bartender and. Are you a straight man? I am.
0: Yeah. I ask this because I live very close to, uh, uh the gay bar here on on fountain Akbar. Akbar, yeah. and a lot of the bartenders don't have their shirts on yeah were you the same as a bartender no
1: no no i i never took my shirt i look you can't like you're next to some of these guys like these guys are just as ripped and like it's like i could i mean i when i was i was 20 years old and i'm six foot right now and you know i'm six three i was probably six one or two back then and maybe weighed 120 pounds, like wet. So, like I, there's no way. There was no world where, where like the the other gays at the bar wanted to see me with my shirt off. There was no world where that existed. Your story is just better.
0: This is why I don't need research.
1: No, it's great. We
0: just need a conversation. We just need a conversation. And you never know what's going to come out. Who are better tippers, the gays or the uh, the ladies on uh, bachelorette nights?
1: Oh, huh. I don't know. Probably equal. Like both really? great. Yeah, both pretty great. Good. Like I worked. I worked at uh, one of the other bars that that my family owned in Denver was a skinhead bar. <laughs> not by choice. It just sort of. It was like it was like a roadhouse kind of bar, and I worked that one too. Little. Thank God they didn't know I was Jewish. Um, <laughs> but those guys are the worst tippers. Shockingly, are the worst tippers.
0: Fascists are t- are bad tippers. Bad tippers. Yeah. Who knew?
1: Yeah, the skinheads did not tip well.
0: since we're talking about Beverly Grove yes and we're talking about booze yes which i've got nothing against booze it just it just makes me kiss the wrong people oh it's okay <laughs> <laughs> right uh, who by the way sometimes are pretty good kissers yeah, and you're like you hmm, how okay. about that yeah. tell me a good bar
1: so let's see Beverly Grove a good bar there's a new one and an old one so El Carmen is my favorite bar on that on that stretch of West 3rd Street okay uh, it's a luchador themed Mexican restaurant and bar. They've been there forever. They've got an amazing happy hour. It's an incredible first date spot. Mm-hmm. It's just like dark and moody but fun. And there's I don't know. It's just like is,
0: a, is this on that stretch where Jones and Toast is? Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. So great. It's
1: um. So when no, you say
0: Luch,o you mean like Mexican wrestler? Uh, yeah. Style? So there's like
1: Mexican wrestler like. Uh, paintings and stuff all over the walls. I like that. And it's just like a. It's just awesome. It's like a. It's it. You know, we lost a great bar called Saint Nick's, which is this dive yes. bar that was amazing, and yes. it's now a Toca Madero, which is like a fancier Mexican spot. Uh, and, and, and Saint Nick's, this was uh, over by the Beverly Center, closer to the Beverly Center, mm-hmm. and uh, it was really my favorite bar on that street. Like many, many because nights. it. You want to talk about a heavy pour? Whoa. Oh yeah! Oh yeah!
0: But but also it 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 had no
1: airs. It was just it was the local bar. It was the local bar, and they just like all the bartenders were these like Mexican guys who loved to pour big big drinks, and it was like <laughs> they didn't hire you know the hot actress to like pour drinks no there's like these guys were working and they were great and this place was a dump and it was the best yeah and, like i had so many fun nights at saint nick's like so many fun nights so i really like them a lot and then the new one i really like is um on beverly and crescent heights it's a place called marvin it's a it's a french place but they just have amazing wine like just an incredible wine selection really fun happy hour good vibes indoor and outdoor Hmm. i love that spot and then so you
0: know your wines too
1: yeah i don't i don't know if i know them know them but like yeah i love to drink i i like drinking wine i think more than cocktails to be honest Hmm. yeah
0: because of the subtleties and Uh,
1: i think care yeah i the way it the way a really um, knowledgeable sommelier pairs wine with food. If they're really good at it, the two things go together like it's symphonic to me. It's poetic mm-hmm. to me. It, like it, it enhances both equally. And I, yeah, you know, cocktails. It's harder to do that. Um, there are bartenders who are trying. There's some really advanced stuff out there that's really interesting. But you know, for the most part, like wine with food, specifically dinner, it just if it's done right, it's so beautiful.
0: It, okay, when it's done right. Can a schlub like me figure it out that this was meant, that this is better than if I just chosen a random wine to go with my steak or my fish?
1: Look, I I would say it's, you'd probably be able to tell if it was wrong. Mm Mm-hmm. More than you'd be able to tell, like this, because like within the margins, you know, there's maybe a margin of error, ten, twenty percent, whatever. Like if if it's done really well Mm -hmm. versus just kind of well, but you'll know if the two flavors don't work. You'd be like, oh god! Like it's almost like when you um when you eat like right after brushing your teeth, you know, and and it just like ruins whatever that thing is that you put in your mouth. I, I love West Third. I think I think it's 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 perfectly fine in that.
0: You know what you're getting involved in. You know it's a little fancier. You know faux nuts wouldn't exist anywhere else, <laughs> right? And and this is a place for brunch. This is uh, it's it's also I think very female friendly.
1: Um, a lot of boutiques. Yeah, I think that, that Third Street is perfect for for people. So the reason I really love this neighborhood is that I love to walk, mm-hmm. and I think it's one of the best walking streets in the entire city so from one end to the other you have the beverly center on one end you've got the grove on the other end Mm -hmm. you have a dozen restaurants both high end and low Mm -hmm. you've got half a dozen bars you've got tons of shops um everything i do is on west third street i mean Mm -hmm. and i walk to all of it and it's great i just think that it's so hard to find good walking streets in our city and that stretch between those those bookends mm-hmm. you can find literally anything you could possibly want or need.
0: I would say even uh, Planchos tacos. Yeah,
1: Planchos is right by where I live and like mm-hmm. that's what I mean like there's there's the little door which is this super fancy French restaurant and then there's right next door to it basically is Planchos and also Slab the barbecue spot and then and then you go to Wait, I don't know about Slab. Oh. Slab, I love barbecue. Well, Slab is great. They do a really good brisket. Uh, one of my favorite mac and cheeses in the city is from Slab. Mm-hmm. Uh, really good collard greens. Yeah, Slab, <gasps> I'm a big fan of Slab. Are these black people running this place? No, it's an Israeli guy, actually. You Jews, I'm telling you, man. Yeah. Okay, fine. I'll, I'll try it. Burt Bachman. He's uh I think You even know the guy's name! Yeah, we're pals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's great he's he like he's at every food festival he's really you know gone all over the country to really like hone his own version of barbecue and yeah it's it's great
0: are you a friend are you a fan
1: of the farmer's market i am yeah
0: where should i should i be drinking at th- at that bar over there do they have more than one
1: yeah there's a bunch of places now that are in there and the names are escaping me because um, they're new right no, not necessarily. There's the one in the middle has been around for a while. Mm-hmm. There's a decent happy hour there. Mm. Um there's one on like the the Fairfax side. Yep. That's next to uh, so there's a pizza place that moved in there called Friends and Family, mm-hmm. which is really good, although uh-huh. it's way too expensive. But they do natural yeast, uh, like so they use like a starter to make their pizza, uh-huh. and it's awesome. The pizza's like the flavor of the dough is incredible. Um, so, so like a twenty dollars pizza is what you're saying? It's more. It's it's stupid. <laughs> uh, it's real it's actually offensive how expensive it is. But every once in a while, I was just like I just. I just want that tangy crust and yeah. cuz it's like sourdough crust basically. It's so good. And, and it doesn't sound like they do slices. No, they do and that's oh. the worst part. You ba- you you just or- you should order a pizza cuz the slices are like $7. And it's so stupid. And a, and a pizza <laughs> you can get like three slices or you can get in a whole you or you can get a whole pie. Right. Like just it's it's dumb but it's great. And then next door to that, there's a bar right there. And so yeah. they do it, Is wine. Is that bar
0: the one that they would have karaoke uh, back in the day? You know, I don't know. It, it's across, I think what we are talking about is across from the, the Creole place. The, yeah, it's literally across from the Creole yeah. place.
1: It's right behind DuPars. Yes. It's over there. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think they used to have karaoke there. At the,
1: I, I love the farmer's market. I love the farmer's Even market. Even though, like talk about gentrification, like that thing is just, you <laughs> Yeah, know. but you still have like Patsy DeMores, which opened in like the 1950s for pizza and there's yep. like the donut place there it's been open for 75 yep. years hasn't and, changed the sign yeah, like and st- cheap know, there's,
0: chinese food yeah, on your there's way still, out
1: there's still you know some classics that are in there that give la its character i don't know can i tell you the weirdest uh or the worst place on west third street <laughs> sure so i get a piece of mail a few days ago <laughs> and it's like one of those like city ordinance like come to the meeting for x y and z pieces of mail yeah and i open it up and I'm like, oh. It's for Barry's Pizza. So Barry's Pizza, B-E-R-R-I, Apostrophe S. There's a few locations around the city, but the one on West Third Street is like the post-club hangout. Okay. So at from two to four, it's it is like the scene. They put out like a velvet rope, the whole thing. But there has been murders. There has been Fights. There has been every every so like this this piece of mail that I got is like the city like talking about like to try and get berries. So I don't know if they're trying to change their hours or if they're just trying to kick them out completely. But the laundry list of violations was was maybe two dozen deep of of all of these incidents over the years. There was a murder there like a couple months ago. I couldn't walk on the street. Yeah, it's from two to four a.m. It is the worst, 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 worst place to be, and it's right there on West Third. So what, as bougie what? as West Third is, right, from two to four, it is. It is a post-club, drunken, crazy, violent thing that happens.
0: So if I was really interested in ratings, I would just post up over there and just film Uh, the nonsense happening. It's crazy. On uh, 3rd and Crescent Heights. Yes. Yes. There used to be like a hot tub place. Do you remember hot that tub. place? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, it's so funny. So like, so that hot tub place used to be on like Blind Date yes. and all those like dumb dating shows yeah. and there was those hot the tubs. Third wheel? Oh, those hot tubs must have been so <laughs> the gross. The worst. I forget the name of the place, but yeah, so now like bubbles or something, yeah, something stupid. stupid. It was but I And keep, Kitty Corner to Paul Frank was, was over there. Yeah, and so I don't know if he's now. Covered. It was a, it, so during the pandemic. It was a Chinese food restaurant that was actually pretty good. Oh, um, but they went out of business, and now there's some new cafe going in there on that corner. Speaking of Chinese, the 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 staple Chinese place in Beverly Grove is Mandaret. I don't know this one. So Manduret's been around for 40 years, probably. Mm-hmm. It's on the corner of Orlando and Beverly, okay. and uh, I think I had my. Goofiest celebrity sighting was it? Was it I look over and I'm like, I was like, is that Bette Midler? It was Bette Midler with Bruce Valanche. Do you know who Bruce Velanche is? Yes. Yeah. So there Oscar was, joke writer. just the two of them eating eating dinner <laughs> by themselves at Mandarette. No fanfare. Just it was great. great. Did Bette look like Bette? Yeah, Bette looked like Bette, and Bruce huh. looked like Bruce.
0: Okay. By the way,
1: thank you for coming here.
0: You're so welcome. Thank you for reaching out. You are such an expert. And as you can tell, it's fun to talk to experts about their neighborhoods. I love my neighborhood. Okay. Do you know about Liberace's old apartment building? No. Camp no. Pacific Park. Okay. So, kitty corner to that, there's a like a four-story brick building. Not a beautiful building okay. at all. Uh, northeast kitty corner was where Liberace apparently lived.
1: Oh wow! Okay. Like this
0: was, I, and I think this was just his like fun little. That was his like place in the city. His his like little playpen place. <laughs> like he probably had a mansion somewhere I'm in, the, in the hills. Pretty sure he did. But this was like just his fun spot. That's funny. Okay, so this book. Yes. Obviously, you are going to sell it in bookstores. Yes. Will it also be sold at liquor stores or, <laughs> no, uh, wine clubs? Like where 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 do you? Is it Amazon? Is the place now?
1: So the book is available on Amazon, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, Walmart, Target. Walmart? Yeah, Walmart sells it. Barnes & Noble sells it. You're going to be rich. Yeah, well, hopefully. We'll see. Because uh, uh, we know that the people at Walmart care about their they, Italian uh, They booze. do. They like to. I mean, everyone loves a Negroni. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it'll be in every major depart- like every major store. Uh, it'll be in bookstores, obviously, and then, yeah, online.
0: This is why I ask. After I'm done with Pan Pacific, yes, I'm heading to Erewhon. Okay, I would think this would be perfect at Erwan. You think so? Well, this does not look like a cheap situation. It's
1: how not. much how much is this book going for? Uh, that's like twenty five bucks. No, it's twenty two ninety nine. Yeah, twenty three dollars. Yeah, yeah.
0: But don't you think that the, the the Venn diagram of people who would enjoy that might also be an Erewhon shopper or or Whole Foods, which is
1: also uh, Beverly Grove. Yes it is. Yeah.
0: But okay, let's talk about that. Yeah.
1: Poor poor area over there. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> it's going through a, a, a change right it is now. It's
1: going through some changes.
0: One of the changes is the City Bank. Yes. Used to have a clock. It used to have a clock. How hard is it for a bank to have a clock? And I know we have clocks everywhere and on our Teslas and our watches, whatever.
1: Yeah, it was sort of a sad, like, renovation. Wasn't it it nice to
0: have a clock there? Yeah, it was
1: kind of like a nice clock and it was kind of like a nice (laughs) old building and they renovated it and it's like, why did you bother? Because it's just still a bank. Like, who cares? Yeah. Yeah.
0: And to me, the bank clocks, it's not about the time. It's the temp. That's right. Because if it's 100 degrees... I want to prove it somehow. Yeah,
1: there you go. I want to Instagram it. I love the bank clock with the temp. Yeah, I do love the temp. <laughs> so they took that away. They took it away. They also took
0: away the Kmart,
1: which did not fit in this neighborhood. You don't think Kmart and Whole Foods go side by side? with it? And then there's a Ross as well that's no longer there, I think. The Ross... Isn't Ross and Kmart go together, but Ross... Ross and Kmart go together, but isn't there
0: a, another Ross? Yeah, in the, over- Be- in the
1: Beverly Connection.
0: What, okay, but what's across the street, though? Isn't that another? Uh, dis- oh, that's Marshall's.
1: Yeah, Marshall's. Also at the Beverly Connection. I think there's a Ross and a Marshall's, both at the Beverly Connection.
0: Why do I feel like there's another discount store west? Well, I thought that was a Ross. Is that not Ross? So, but we said there was a Ross
1: next to the the Kmart. So there was two Rosses? I think there might have been two Rosses. There's a lot of Rosses. That's a lot of Rosses. Well, West 3rd wasn't always so bougie. <laughs> You remember, like, they, they took all of it out, but, like, there was that whole little strip center next to Whole Foods, between Whole Foods and Kmart, that had, like, a wig store and, and like, yeah. an Italian restaurant, and there was a bunch of, like, random shit that's been there for, pro- that was probably there for 40 years, that... Like a little key stand? Yeah, there's, the, yeah, that the key stand's still there, though, so you, oh, still, thank you, you God. still get your keys. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Which are over under a number of days of that one. Not good. It's no. Not a lot. Like, no. the second whatever.
1: I don't know what's being built there, though.
0: <laughs> yeah. I I feel like the last thing that was at
1: that area was the Britney Spears experience. Yeah, and then something shut it down, and I'm not sure. I think COVID shut it down. No, it was something else. There was like oh. a, there was like an incident or something that shut it down. Was it was it the free Britney movement? Uh no. It, there was I don't remember. There was something that happened though that shut it down because hmm. it didn't last very long.
0: This is probably the first episode where we actually really get in depth about the neighborhood.
1: Yeah, good, good. It is good. The neighborhood's great.
0: teach me about Negronis?
1: Yes. What do you want to know?
0: Well, I think there's a TikTok meme going on about Negronis going around.
1: Okay. So you may be confusing the Negroni with the Negroni Spagliato. And so we'll get to both. Okay. So the Negroni, (laughs) it was invented in 1919 um, in Florence, Italy. Uh, Basically there was a guy who would go to this cafe. It was called Cafe Cassoni in Florence, Italy in 1919 and he would order a drink called an Americano, which was a—it's uh, a drink that's made with vermouth, sweet vermouth, Campari, and soda water. And the guy's name was Count Negroni, <laughs> literally his name. And he thought his drink was too weak, and so he asked the bartender to make it stronger. The bartender replaced the soda water with gin, and he added a an orange wheel. And then the Negroni, and he named it after the guy and he named it Negroni. So that's the Negroni. And it's, and the, it's the easiest drink in the world to make because it's equal parts, one ounce Campari, one ounce sweet vermouth, and one ounce of gin. And so, no, what, go ahead.
0: One ounce, that's a shot glass shot?
1: Yeah, basically okay. a shot glass. And so, or a four, four count pour, basically with a, if you, if you like turn a bottle over with a, that has a, a pour on it, like a, whatever those, I guess they're just called a pour. If you count to four, that's one ounce. Yeah, that's uh, that's how they do it at the bar. Uh,
0: Because at some bars you don't want to go into the 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 shot glass.
1: Well, today they'll use what's called a jigger. It's actually jigger. A jigger is actually a, a a measuring device that's been used for over 100 years but it's become more like fashionable to use it again and a jigger has two sides of it it sort of looks like an hourglass and so w- one side will be uh one ounce and the other side will be a half ounce but you can it'll vary from that so you can use a jigger to get an exact pour or you can just do a count you know what, what do you prefer i prefer the jigger when I, if, but if i was at a but if i was bartending at a bar i would just do the count because it's way faster hmm, the jigger okay. is just more accurate Okay. Um, so the Negroni is an equal measurement drink. So it's super easy to make. You just put it over ice. You stir it right in the glass. You don't need any bells or whistles. So now the Negroni Spagliato is, uh, became famous because of, uh, Emma Darcy, who is on, um, the Game of Thrones sequel.
0: Mm. So Emma Darcy. The, the House of the Dragons or House something? The, yeah. And so mm. Emma Darcy
1: became famous because... Uh, they, Emma is a a they, just FYI. So Emma did an interview where someone asked them what their favorite drink was and Emma said a Negroni Spagliato, but with Prosecco in it. Gotta do it now. Yeah. What's your drink of choice? A Negroni. I was gonna say the same thing. Spagliato. Ooh. With Prosecco in it. Oh, stunning. Yeah. And it's an oxymoron because a Negroni Spagliato is made with prosecco so it would be like saying a negroni with prosecco with prosecco so that's what that's what made emma that 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 was the meme that was going around so Uh so uh, a negroni spagliato is a negroni where they replace the gin with prosecco and for those of you who don't know prosecco is basically just champagne it's sparkling wine that's made in italy so um Mm -hmm. that is a negroni spagliato the word spagliato means mistake or mistaken and the bartender who created the drink was a man in Milan at a place called Barbasso, and that uh, it, it was created like in the 50s or 60s, sort of like the post World War II Renaissance of Italy. And he noticed that there was all these women coming to the bar and ordering low ABV, low alcohol by volume drinks, and and so he was a bit of a sexist, and so he created this, he just created this drink and called it a mistake because it wasn't a real Negroni, but that's what he would serve to women.
0: First of all, I'm blown away by your knowledge. <laughs> Thanks. Man. Very impressed. Uh, in this book, how many pages in this beautiful book? Uh,
1: the book is 400. Wow. Pa- 415 pages. But
0: but it doesn't look that big. I mean, it, it it looks
1: manageable. But
0: but I guess people
1: aren't really reading this from cover to cover, right? Is this more of a reference? Yeah, it depends. So the way I wrote the book was the first part of the book is the history of Italian cocktails. So, ancient Rome is where you could argue that the first cocktails were being drunk. They were basically adding, you know, uh, honey or mead to wine and mixing it before they would go to dinner because it would sort of um, it would get their gastric juices flowing to like stimulate their appetite. So that so that's a, that, that's what a Negroni is for. A Negroni is actually oh. a pre dinner drink to actually stimulate your appetite. So
0: these Romans figured this
1: out somehow. They got lucky. I mean, I don't know. It was a thousand year reign, so. You know, within that time, they did a lot of experimentation. I'm, I'm impressed by that.
0: Yeah. You know you know how there's another meme, like how often you think about the Roman civilization? <laughs> Roman, yeah. It, and it's like, I do, I, well, I also think about the Native Americans, because I'm like, how did the Native Americans figure this out? <laughs> you know? I think that's kind of refined taste. Like, yeah. yeah, sure, we can eat the cow in
1: a minute, but I want to enjoy it. Well, look, when you have a thousand year empire, which is you know, the Roman Empire is from 500 BC to 500 AD. Mm-hmm. And uh, I almost never think about the Roman Empire with, with the exception of in, within the context of my book. <laughs> but um, within a thousand year period, you have a lot of innovation. And so mm-hmm. cocktails is just one of them. And so then, um, you know, cocktailing from there, if you go back, there was a place called the University of Salerno in Italy where they were really experimenting with medicinal based drinks and so there were always you know there was botanicals with alcohol to like cure everything but there was like real study going on about like what different botanicals and different alcohols would do to your body and how it could help headaches or stomach aches or whatever and so they really started refining like drinks that you would have before dinner to stimulate your appetite versus drinks you would have after dinner to sort of help you digest and so before dinner is 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 a in italy today it's called aperitivo it's a time period that you go and you drink and you eat some salty snacks and it really is supposed to get your night started and stimulate your appetite. Do, do you agree with this theory? You know there's not a lot of scientific basis behind it. <laughs> um, well actually that's not entirely true on the aperitivo side yes there is some science that that helps that can prove that like eating salty snacks and and having some kind of uh, liquor or liqueur can actually it's sort of like a, like between your head and your gut you know, gets you ready to eat. It's sort of like your your stomach actually will start excreting juices that will make you feel hungry, and your head will, will react to that, and then will make you want to go eat.
0: So when you say salty, so when I order an appetizer, yeah. I, I'm, I'm usually getting bread. Like, that so doesn't seem to— as,
1: So aperitivo and appetizer are two separate things. Right. So aperitivo is just a time period. That's just what it's called yeah. where— Salty snacks are more like olives or some potato chips or some pretzels, that kind of thing. So nibble on a couple of those. Nibble on a couple of those to, like, get your saliva going, get your juices flowing in your stomach. Like, that's what it's for. Okay. And, yeah, like you're not supposed to fill up on bread. You got to like like the one thing you learn as a food writer is portion control and that's the biggest thing you got to you got to do.
0: So you also mentioned
1: afterwards to for
0: digestion. Yeah, so, What's so, a good so, drink that I should have at the end of my meal?
1: Um so like an amaro just on ice. Don't know what that is. So an amaro is a it's a category of alcohol um of liqueurs where there's anywhere from 40 to 60 different botanicals that come together to to make this beautiful thing and there's an amaro in every region of italy that uh different people make in different ways and this you know the recipes are always a big secret and it's just this wonderful thing that's supposed to help you digest your food amaros amaro yeah okay or amari which is plural of amaro What's
0: your favorite drink in the book?
1: So my favorite drink in the book is actually a place in Los Angeles. <gasps> yeah. so You're not just saying that, I'm not you. just saying that. So it's the very last recipe in the entire book. Okay. It's called An Imaginary Friend. Uh, if you've ever eaten at the Mexican restaurant, Damian, downtown. Don't think I have. So it is... It's modern Mexican. It's one of the best restaurants I've ever eaten at. Um, but I'm looking at the menu, and I'm looking at the drinks, and I'm like, what is this Imaginary Friend? Because it has... Uh, Carpano Bianca which is a uh, it's a dry vermouth that is from Italy uh, Carpano is the you know they're credited with creating vermouth and so I was like so my argument is that any any cocktail that uses an Italian ingredient can be considered an Italian cocktail so like the martini which even though it sounds like it's an Italian name no one actually knows the origin the origin is not Italy oh. but a martini is Gin and vermouth, or vodka and vermouth, and you can't have vermouth without Italy because that's where it was invented. So, so I'm looking at this menu, and we got Yola Mezcal, Carpano Bianco, uh, Dolan Blanc Vermouth, which is a which is a French vermouth, and uh, Gentian Liqueur, which is it's like uh, it's an it's it's French and it has sort of like herbal and citrus notes, and it's this beautiful, clear, little bit smoky with a hint of citrus, and it was like this unbelievable drink and i i called them afterward and i said hey this is i th- of all the drinks i've been tasting for the last however long doing the research for this book this was my favorite cocktail and i want to put it in the book and they were they were thrilled and so yeah ah. so it's, it's the last and i'm just thrilled that it's part of la so it's so it's a, downtown la is where we need to go for this you need to go for that but there's also two other actually there's three there's Um, I mean, I don't mind going
0: downtown L.A. because that's where my clippers are.
1: Yeah. There's three (laughs) other uh, L.A. bars that are in the book. Oh? Um, Yeah. So in... In uh, this
0: Italian book?
1: Yeah, because there's a bunch of Italian bars in L.A. that you may not be aware of.
0: Well, this is... From one of our earliest episodes, we talked about how... There's not a lot of Italian people in general. There's not a lot of Italian restaurants. Okay, first of all, that's completely
1: wrong. What? Completely wrong. So let me give you a little bit of a- Please do. Italian history. So there <laughs> used to be a Little Italy downtown, by the way. Where? Uh, so close to where um, Union Station is. Okay. Okay. There used to be a whole Little Italy in downtown LA. There are hundreds of Italian restaurants in Los Angeles, first and foremost.
0: Okay. Okay. Good ones though.
1: So, LA has gone through a bit of an Italian renaissance in the last 15 years. Uh, 15 years ago, you could pretty much only get like red sauce Italian places. Finding like regional Italian places was a little bit harder. Are you giving credit to John and Vinny? No, I give no credit to John (laughs) and Vinny. I'll give a lot of credit to Nancy Silverton. There you go. Uh, She gets a lot of credit for like revolutionizing pizza in Los Angeles. Yes, she does. Uh, In the last 15 years, uh, LA's Italian food scene has become more regional. And what I mean that by that is that it's a lot less Italian American, like spaghetti and meatballs, and it's mm-hmm. more like celebrating specific areas of Italy. Mm-hmm. So downtown, there's Rosa Blue, which is a, an Emilia Romagna regional restaurant. There's uh, all of Evan Funky's restaurants Felix, Mother Wolf, uh, Funky. They're all celebration of Rome, specifically.
0: Mother Wolf is actually good food?
1: Yeah, it's, a, it's he's a very good chef. It's yeah.
0: just not trendy,
1: hard to get into, bar to meet fancy people. It's that as well. Okay. <laughs> but, but it's there, good food once you're there. Yeah, and so there's been a lot of, there's been a pizza revolution, there's been a pasta revolution. There has been a pizza revolution. Hasn't yeah, yeah it's pretty insane. But I guess I, I never city.
0: considered that like Italian-Italian. Well, pizza's Italian-Italian. I know, but... It was invented in Italy. I know, but there's a robot
1: making pizza now at USC. All right, but you have to you have to say what kind of pizza we're talking about because there's different styles, there's different types. There's Neapolitan, there's Roman, there's uh, Sicilian. You know, there's all there's Detroit, there's Chicago, there's all these different styles, and there's New York. And I also thought the Italians didn't want to take credit for the pizza. Yeah, it depends on who you talk to. So, like, if someone's from Naples, yeah, they want to take credit for pizza because Naples is where pizza was born in the 1800s. Like, that's what it's from. Now, you could argue about, like, what is authentic pizza considering that tomatoes are from Peru, flatbreads are from Egypt, (laughs) buffalo mozzarella is from India, and... Anchovies. So, no, anchovies <laughs> are Mediterranean. Oh, there. pineapples. Pineapples are not uh Have you Italy.
0: ever seen pineapples on pizza in Italy?
1: No. No. They throw it right out. Uh no, I but it's just not a thing. You have have see you
0: it. seen the TikToker, the Italian TikToker guy whose wife is American?
1: Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, and on and purpose just, she she does. Yeah, and he's horrified by, by it. One yeah, one it's one one. very
0: fun. What? Sarah, this is We don't, have to eat this shit pasta so short. What do you mean? I just It is is not spaghetti, my love. Come on, it doesn't fit in the pan. Oh, you understand me. No, you can't cut the pasta. So I just, I just didn't fit in the pan. My, I don't Go in the pan, my love. But I, you cut the pasta? You know that is illegal in Italy. As an Italian uh, expert. Yes. Is is are they exaggerating or would would most Italians respond that way?
1: Yeah, look, I mean, anything you're going to see on TikTok is going to be for entertainment value. So, like, they're probably exaggerating a little bit. But yeah, you know, I think the average Italian would probably be a little bit mortified by by the whole thing, <laughs> a little bit.
0: Okay, so so is LA as good or if not better for pizza for example than new york
1: i think la is the best pizza city in the country Look by far at you. yeah and and of the pizzas what's your top 2 uh it depends on the style so i can't just give you a top 2 i will give you a little bit extra you're
0: such an expert
1: yeah yeah so uh so Neop- just straight Neapolitan, like classic, classic, classic Neapolitan, where it's droopy in the middle and it flops over. Uh, <laughs> is Lantica Pizzeria da Michele in Hollywood? Um, really, L-
0: La who again? So
1: L apostrophe Antica, uh-huh. so Lantica. Okay. Pizzeria da D A Michele. It looks like Michelle, but it's pronounced Michele. Hollywood, where? Just between Sunset and Hollywood, I believe. On what starts with an M? What's that street right there? MacArthur, oh. McCarthy. It's, uh, so over, over
0: by the
1: Hollywood High. Yeah, close to there. Yeah, yeah, pretty close huh. to there. So that place is is actually from Naples. Like it's one of the OG Naples uh, pizzerias, and they licensed the recipe to uh, this wonderful gentleman named Francesco uh, Zimone, and he built. That pizzeria here in Los Angeles.
0: This isn't the one on Hollywood with the Sinatra mural on the side. No, that's Michelli's. Michelli's. Yeah.
1: Right. Which, is that Any good? Yeah, it's a Red Sauce Italian place. Okay. The waiters sing. It's fun. It's normal. Uh, it's fine. It's just, you know, it's I, it's not my favorite, but it's fine. Yeah, it's totally serviceable. Okay, so your second one. So that's just for Neapolitan. So yeah. uh, Pizzana, in, there are now multiple locations, but the original Pizzana is in Brentwood is a guy who's from Caserta. His name is Daniele Uditi. Caserta is just outside of Naples, and he did his own version of Neapolitan so that it, the pizza doesn't flop over. But <laughs> it's incredible. Um, the he uh, put a little
0: starch in, in the, the.
1: No, he just has. He's just. A he genius. figured it out. He's just a genius. And um, <laughs> and then an offshoot of that is Tokyo-style pizza, <gasps> which is like another Neapolitan style, but it's but they do some different things with the crust. And there's a place called Pizzeria Say on Pico and Robertson that is phenomenal. So okay. those right now are my, in, in, that, in that area, those are my favorites. Pico, so the Jews, again. Yeah, but he's uh, he's not Jewish. He's but, but I'm
0: saying the Jews lucked out.
1: They did. They lucked out. On this out. one. So uh, Chicago style, I like a place called Blackbird. It's on Melrose. What? Yeah, it's really good. You're telling a Chicagoan about yeah. Chicago pizza. Do you not know about Blackbird? I do not. You know about masa? I love masa. Yeah, so I think it's better than masa. <gasps>
0: I love to hear this. I mean, no disrespect to our good friends at Massa. Massa's great,
1: but I think Blackbird's better. Yeah. And you say that's on Melrose. It's on Melrose.
0: I am so blessed to have you here today.
1: Uh, For uh, Sicilian, I like Prime. They do a Sicilian slice. That's phenomenal.
0: Okay. Your knowledge. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, he has no notes going on. you, You may have heard his phone isn't even working in this apartment. Your knowledge is phenomenal. New York Slice. Uh, Hold on a sec. I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm, I'm giving you love here. Thank you. Do you have this for a lot of other things? Like, are you this good about basketball?
1: Yeah, I'm pretty good about basketball. Did you always
0: do well in school? Yeah, I did all right. Yeah, I did pretty well. Do you say you have a brother.
1: I have an older brother.
0: Does, does he have this kind of mind?
1: Yeah, but not for food. He couldn't care less about food. How do you attribute this? I don't know. Like, you
0: know the the chef's name, where it's at. <laughs> you know the address. You know how to spell the freaking thing. Yeah, but this is what I you're, do. You're from is, Colorado of this, all places. This is what
1: I do for a living. This is my job. So, like, trust me. I'm, there's like, a lot of people who do crappy ass jobs. Yes, there's no question. But look, I I don't know. Sometimes it's fun for me to just like go down rabbit holes and get into the weeds and meet these chefs and like become friends with them and write about them and and celebrate them and like I you know I love L A. and I love all of the experimentation that goes on here and I and I celebrate it but I want to like I want to do it right. Like I went to cooking school to become a better food writer not to become I mean like I like to cook don't get me wrong I love it and, and I make food at home all the time but like I did that so I could talk to these people in a way that is more meaningful.
0: Uh, Krista Simmons do you know Krista I all? do know
1: from Sunset Magazine she's yeah. great yeah.
0: She, I think she did the same thing I yeah. think she became a chef because she wanted to be yeah. a
1: good journalist like I'm you. I'm pals of Krista she's great yeah.
0: Now that she's got that Cool job. Has she hired you for anything yet? No,
1: they don't do a lot of freelance work, so uh, I don't. That's too bad. But like her and her boss, I'm I'm friends with both, so mm-hmm. Hugh Garvey over at Sunset. Speaking of uh experimentation.
0: Yes. He, on Sunset in Silver Lake, there is Pija Palace. Yes. Which were this young Italian guy. Nope. I mean I mean a young Indian guy. Yep. <laughs> Instant fact check. Yeah. I Ubered him. Yeah. Cuz I'm I'm a Uber driver on the oh, side. Okay. And he was going there in the middle of the day with, like, a 12-pack of beers. Yeah. And, and red flag. Like, who brings beer to a restaurant? The owner does. The owner does. And I go, oh, my God, I've seen this on TikTok. He's like, I'm the owner. I was like, oh. Because he was young, this yeah. guy. He was young. This is his first restaurant ever. Yeah. And he's combining Indian flavors with pizza on, on one of yeah, his so Indian pizza. pizzas.
1: Um, yeah, so Have so, you tried it? So, yes, I've been twice. Uh, pizza Palace is an Indian... Italian fusion sports bar. <laughs> right. So, That's, that was hard to get into. It still is. Um, I personally don't think the pizzas are very good because they – so they call it bar pizza and the bar pizza that they do – so bar pizza is supposed to be crispy and they – the way they get it crispy is, they, is they, they're burning the pizza mm. and you shouldn't eat that. It's carcinogenic. It'll actually – it's actually not good for you. Really? Now – with don't that, eat your burnt stuff. Don't eat burnt stuff. Even if you scrape off the black part? that's You should definitely scrape it off. You should 100% scrape it off. That's carcinogen. The black part's the bad part. Not great for you. So there's a there's a fine line between blistering your your crust and charring it. And the char is not necessarily good for you. So mm. the pastas, on the other hand, mm. with uh, Indian sauces, I think are a revelation. I think really? they are so good. I, I think about them quite a bit. I... He made his own pasta die. So, for those of you who don't know in the audience, a pasta die is what they use to extrude pasta through a machine. So, the die the itself has a shape. So, when you ever see like a noodle with a hole through the middle of it, it's called a bucatini, that is pushed through a machine that has a die that is able to, because you can't do that by hand. Oh. So, he has dyes that he had made in Italy. One of them is a rickshaw. So he has like rickshaw shaped pastas that they make in house because he created a rickshaw dye. It's so cool. And I think that their pastas are phenomenal and the sauces that go with them are just this revelatory mix. And what I love about Pisa palace is I, it's what I love about food and bringing cultures and people together to really go full circle on this conversation is that it's a celebration of, of, of these two cultures coming together in a way that no one really had thought to do before. And it's phenomenal, which, okay.
0: There's a billion Indians.
1: Yeah. And there's, uh, millions and millions of Italians Italians,
0: who've been around forever experimenting. Yeah. Nobody thought about maybe someone
1: did, but not in the version that, that he's doing over at Asia. And and he's, and
0: and he comes to silver Lake and he's like, let's try it here. And I think it's a sports bar. This is my theory my trip with him was very short because I, I think he was like giving himself a, a chicken exit. Like, are they really going to come for the food? So let's, let's put a bunch of TVs up there. I just
1: think he's like a hipster. I, you know, I, I, I like him. He's, uh, he's been nothing but nice to me. And, mm-hmm. uh, I was very honest with him about the pizza and he, he asked me to come back to try it again. Cause they, they, and they, they, they definitely were better the second time, uh-huh. um, but I still think the pastas are the, are the things to eat there. It,
0: it, would be, it would be crazy for me not to ask you about Jonathan Gold. Okay. Um, about this. The LA Times, and I imagine lots of other restaurants, used to have this thing where the critics would try to remain anonymous, and they would have to go multiple times before they felt comfortable writing a review. Yeah. I think those days are over.
1: Well, Bill Addison is the is the L.A. Times critic, mm-hmm. and he is as anonymous as it gets. Oh, is he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I've had lunch with him before, oh. and after the lunch, I, it was like really nice. Like we were, it was a mutual friend's house, and I said I'll see you around, and he's like, No, you won't. <laughs> I was like, What do you mean? He's like, I don't go to the things that you go to. Like I don't go to these like dinners and things. And he's like, I can't. I was like, Okay, I respect that. So he no, wants to keep it on the down low. He's. Uh, You'd be really hard pressed to find someone who could pick him out of a lineup. Yeah. Because that was the other thing about, about um poor Jonathan. Oh no, he's very recognizable. The most recognizable. But you know, Jonathan does something did did something that I really appreciate and I try to also emulate mm-hmm. is that I if I don't have anything good to say about a place, I write nothing. Mm-hmm. I only want to help a business. I don't want to put somebody out of business. Right. There are plenty of people who deserve that. I get it. They're assholes or they're whatever, they're shameless, whatever it's not my business. My business is to try to elevate people's places and tell people where to go and why not where to go or not to go. And why not? I just don't, mm-hmm. it's bad karma. I don't care for it. I don't want to do it. And that was sort of what Jonathan Gold, like he was, a he celebrated the city in a way that the city needed. He was mm-hmm. a cheerleader and, but he also knew what he was talking about. He really knew his food. Mm-hmm. And I try to, you know, I'm, by no means on his level of knowledge for food, but, like that's what i try to I try to aspire towards that
0: my my deeper question is the three visits situation. yeah yeah do you do you buy into that that yeah. you should go a couple times
1: before you review it? Yeah, you know, look, it's really hard to do that. Mm-hmm. If you really want to do it right, yes, you should. um service could have been a disaster that night. Someone could have broken up with their boyfriend. There could have Mm -hmm. been a shortage of certain ingredients there. There's Mm. a million things that can go wrong in a restaurant on Mm -hmm. any given night. So one visit that snapshot. Yeah. Could they have gotten it perfect that night that you were there? Yeah, maybe, Mm. but even that may not be a good representation of who they really are. Cause like the best that they are, the worst that they are and somewhere in the middle, well that somewhere in the middle is probably who they really are. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, you, if you really want to be a great critic, you definitely need to go more than once. They used to say that the reason that the
0: pizza was better in New York is because of the water.
1: Yeah, it's bullshit. I love that. It's complete bullshit. So, I, I've talked to so many like bread makers about this topic, and you know, pizza maker, pizza makers are basically bread makers. Mm-hmm. You know, at their at their heart, at their soul, mm-hmm. and if you know what you're doing you just modify your recipe, okay? If there's more humidity in the air, there's more iron in the water, there's fluoride, there's not, you can filter it out, you could do whatever you want, you could do, you look, Larry King has a bagel place in Beverly Hills where he claims they fly in the water. Well, you know what, his bagels suck. (laughs) <laughs> All right? So those bagels are trash bagels. Wait, okay? which, which place is this? It's right on Beverly Drive. Or Beverly, yeah. Uh, is this Brooklyn Bagels? Is it Brooklyn? Maybe Brooklyn Bagels. Across from uh, that coffee shop that everybody goes to, yeah, Earth Cafe? Fill, yeah, across from Phil's and across from Earth right yeah. there. And it's got that huge sign outside. Yeah. They, oh, they ship in their water from Brooklyn. It's like, go fuck yourself. <laughs> like, it's it's meaningless. <clears throat> Completely meaningless. You know why you wanna know, know you wanna know why, <laughs> why people think that the pizza's better in New York? Why is It's because they've been making it on these ovens for so many years that they've never cleaned and it's like years and years and years of the accumulated like gook that is in there that gives it that special je ne sais quoi of New York style pizza. Right. And by the way, it's great. It is for what it is, like it's actually hard to get a a better New York slice in LA compared to New York. But all the other styles I'll take LA. Huh. Yeah. You,
0: you are amazing. Thanks, man. Are you going to do a podcast yourself? Are you going to do a TikTok yourself?
1: Uh, do, do you care about that? I don't really care that much. Um, I know that's what helps sell things and, and whatnot, but like, I don't, look, I don't... You're an old school journalist. I'm a journalist, man. I want to write. I want to sit at my computer and grind things out. I want to write books. I want to write articles. I want to, you know...
0: And you're telling us that this two-year-old and, and, and a partner, <clears throat> your partner doesn't care that you are this dedicated to your trade?
1: No, I think that's, you know, she, she knows that this is what I, this is what I do. And, and did you win her over by cooking? No, her? no, really? No. You took her out to restaurants and, and wooed her that way? Yeah. Cause like, you know, when we first started dating back in like 2010, I was, at the time I was, I was co-running a startup and I, I was eating nothing but like takeout and. But you, you weren't a good cook then? I was okay, but I hadn't gone to cooking school yet. Like I hadn't, oh. you know, I went to cooking school in like 2018. So she, she got lucky that, that this was your She hobby. happens to be a really good cook herself. So oh, okay. was like we, we, we share in those responsibilities. Do
0: you have a real pizza oven?
1: I do. I actually have three. <laughs> <laughs> I have, I have three. I have an indoor one and I have two outdoor ones. Uh-huh. Uh, the one that I'm currently using that I love the most is an uni And it, it, you can use gas, you can use charcoal and you can use wood. And I've been really experimenting a lot with wood Mm. and it's just, it, the, the, the heat that it, you know, the temperature, it gets up like 900 degrees Yeah, and it makes, it just, it, it just makes the perfect pizza. It's so good. So 900 degrees is the number. Just like, just like the, the chain. Yeah, that's right. That's the number. Well, for Neapolitan style pizza for like really thin, uh, it it only needs to cook in like less than two minutes. And so. And so that temperature is what allows you to do that.
0: So once your fire is that hot
1: and you cook the pizza,
0: can you squelch the fire really fast so that you don't waste all that beautiful wood? Um,
1: The thing is like where you put the wood in isn't, it's not a big, it's not a big container. Mm. And so there's not that much wood that goes in at any one given time. So you're always constantly adding wood because it burns off pretty fast. As you can tell,
0: we're pretty close to Safi's over here. Yeah, and this guy has his wood going hours before. He's the one restaurant.
1: of LA's great, 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 great chefs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the all-time greats. Ori. Ori Minashi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trust me, we can't park around here anymore yeah, because he's, he's so damn good. He's an all-time great. Uh, Bavel. I think if you know, people always say, "What's your favorite restaurant in LA?" And I don't have an answer. And people always say, "What's the best restaurant in LA?" It's hard for me to answer because I, I, I think about restaurants in, like, I think about dishes and like service and there's no one place that is the best because yeah. that's a very subjective answer yeah but if you put a gun to my head i say bevel really yeah gun to my head i say Bavel. you're you're like hugh hefner it's like who's the prettiest girl you
0: met he's like well blonde redhead american chinese japanese like come on now <laughs> it's a hell they're of a different
1: comparison. it's a hell of a comparison <laughs>
0: Is the book out right so, now?
1: So it's the perfect Christmas present. It comes it, out the first week of December. They asked
0: you to write on deadline.
1: Yes. And it sounds like a very short deadline. It was a pretty short deadline. They knew I was the right person for that job. Look, I've been I've worked my ass off for years and years and years. I've published, you know, thousands of pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, you know, that was in prep for something like this.
0: Well, it shows, man. Thank you. Cause I mean, I've been throwing you curveballs and you're like, whatever. <laughs> Gone. (laughs) I mean, I gave you PG
1: palace,
0: (laughs) (laughs) which maybe should be on your radar, but a man who loves pizza, of course it's going to be on your radar. Especially a man who likes experimentation as much as you do. Right.
1: I look at the end of the day, my favorite thing is about food and drinking for that, for that matter Mm -hmm. is that it, it brings people together. And that is what I love the most about the world that I get to work in.
0: even knows in the this man are you like tom cruise and rain man are you
1: well i would have been uh, should i drop a bunch of matchsticks i would be dustin hoffman and rain man not tom cruise look at him look at him go wapner three (laughs) o'clock definitely (laughs) negroni three (laughs) o'clock negroni three (laughs) o'clock so the coolest recipe that they have in here is actually um is a frozen negroni Uh uh-huh so they literally have like one of those frozen slushy machines and they make a negroni with it and it's awesome (laughs) It's, it's in the book.
0: I would think that... The, I mean, you're not really a
1: purist if no. you like experimentation. No, I'm not a purist at all, actually. So
0: this is like almost an Iron Chef kind of a situation.
1: I don't know. I Look, I think there's something to say about, quote, authenticity, okay? Yeah. Um, but authenticity, it's really... You know, people a lot of times they think they know what something is authentic, but it's not like the pizza example is the best example, right? Mm -hmm. So pizza was invented in in Naples, but the tomatoes are from Peru, the Buffalo mozzarella is from India, so on and so on. And, uh, the, the, the funniest part about authentic Neapolitan pizza is that if to be considered authentic today is you have to use a specific kind of flour. It's called double zero refined flour. Okay. And it's a very white powdery, like super soft powdery flour. And that, so to be authentic, you have to use that flour. Well, if the pizza was made in 1878, yeah, but double zero flour wasn't invented until like 50 years ago. So what are we talking about when we talk about authentic? It's like, guys, let's just drop all this shit. Let's let's pay homage to who who the OGs were and who created things, and then let's mix it up and have some fun, because. As soon as we get too serious about all this stuff and as as soon as we say, well, that's not real or that's not the right thing, you start going down these rabbit holes and you realize none of it's the right thing. None of it's real. Noodles are Chinese. Um, (laughs) Ketchup is Chinese. Uh, Ramen is Chinese. Do you know why ramen is Japanese? Ramen's Japanese because after World War II, there was a rice famine and the U.S. imported all this wheat and the only thing they knew how to make with wheat were noodles. And so the Chinese taught them how to make ramen and by the way the fortune cookie not chinese it's japanese the reason it's chinese is because during world war ii when all the japanese were interned the chinese looked at that as an opportunity and they took over the fortune cookie trade so like Mm. don't give me like this shit about authentic unless you really know what you're talking about and even then you probably don't because the history will tell you something different i love it do you have a twitter uh yeah so everything uh you can find me everywhere uh, at Mr. Paul Feinstein it's not M-I-S-T-E-R though it's Mr. M-R so M-R Paul Feinstein uh, on Twitter or X uh, on threads on Instagram is where I do most of my stuff so oh. go to Instagram to find me um, Mr. Paul Feinstein yeah
0: who's this other Paul Feinstein that made you do the mister
1: yeah it's a good question I think is like-
0: he is he more famous than you
1: no, but there's like a doctor or a lawyer, shockingly. His name is Paul Feinstein. I know a couple of guys. <laughs> we'll take care of this problem. <laughs> Thanks. Mr. Paul Feinstein, this has been an absolute blessing. Really, thank you for having me. Great questions. Really fun. Yeah. Ciao. Ciao.
0: <laughs> How great was Paul? You know who we'd have a big honk honking Chicago-style pizza with? Our Patreons. When you stoke us, you're saying, Tony, the next Negroni's on me. So shout out to our Patreons. Nancy Rommelman, Sean Atlow, Matt Mills, Sean Wallace, Greg and Molly, Jamie Taylor, Mark Johnson, Kira Ann, Barney Grinky, Ben Welsh, Jen Adams, Trevor Wilson, Bree Wild, Dougie Gyro, Christina Up North, Robin Carey, Adam Shorn, Ben from Down Under, Chris from the ATX, Gregor and Phil. If you made it this far and you haven't been a Patreon yet, but you wanna, you know, Add to the Christmas spirit. Just go to patreon.com slash here in LA and give till it hurts. Want to support us, but you're tapped out because of Hanukkah? Understood. You can still help. Post your favorite episode on your Facebook. OMG, post two. It's Christmas. Post two. Post two for Pete's sake. Tweet something nice about us even. Anytime you see me tweet about an episode, retweet it. Who cares? And for God's sake, tell your friends. Tell them how Here in L.A. is spelled, and it's on Apple Podcasts and Google and even Spotify. You know, let's look at our our Twitter followers just yet. How many we got going here? We have 3,516 followers on Twitter. That blows my mind Uh, because it started with nothing so that's really amazing and fantastic and very appreciative Uh, Here in LA is produced by myself, Tony Pierce can't you tell? Music supervision by Jordan Katz, songs by Orgone and Jordan Katz special thanks to Cindy for creating the logo Jen for inspiring this and my man, Miles Krakow who recommended Paul If if you know somebody who's an expert at something like Paul is or just a cool person that would be good on the mic, like Paul was, have them write me at busblog at gmail.com. Oh my God, you'll be so happy that you did. Happy Holidays!